Mind 10 Ministries podcast, No Trash, Just Truth, with hosts Chris Paxson and Rose Spiller. At Proverbs 910 Ministries, we are dedicated to taking out the trash of false teaching and replacing it with biblical truth. Welcome back, everyone. We're in the middle of a 12-week series titled Deciphering Revelation. In this episode, called Sound the Trumpets, we're going to look at Revelation chapters 8 and 9, the trumpet judgments. The judgments of God and the tribulation are definitely getting more intense with the trumpet judgments. And it's not that they're different than the seal judgments, but they are from a different perspective, and they show how God's judgment will escalate and become more intense as we get closer to Jesus' second coming. These aren't a whole new set of judgments, but instead of the big picture view that we got with the seals, Jesus hones in with the trumpets, and later, as we'll see with the bowl judgments, to give us a zoomed-in picture of what God's judgments look like. This was a common way to write in the first century Jewish literature. First, the reader was given the big picture, And then the writer zoomed in with a more detailed account. Correct. And all five credible camps that we talked about in episode one believe Revelation clearly says at some point all hell's going to break loose. (laughs) Yeah. Like we began looking at in the last episode and we're going to continue to look at in this episode. Modern idealists and eclectics, like we are, believe that this is an ongoing tribulation which began right after Jesus' ascension. Yes, Christians have and are going to suffer some horrific things. But Revelation is meant to encourage us and give us a picture to show us how God is and is going to bring his judgment and Jesus's victory over sin, Satan, and death to completion. And since he's sovereign over everything and we already know the ending, we can live our lives in confidence and unafraid no matter what the future holds. We have a lot to cover, so... Sound the trumpets, and let's dive right in. (laughs) When we left off in the last episode, we finished up chapter 7, which was the opening of six of the seven seals. Let's read chapter 8, verse 1. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Rose, Jesus shows John the culmination of God's judgment plan for the wicked and the redemption plan for the saved in this seventh seal. Why the long silence? Have you ever been told or shown something really shocking or stunning and you just needed to step back and take a deep breath to process it all? That might be what's going on here. What John and the angels see in the seventh seal was so incredible, they needed time to take it all in. Now, 30 minutes is like a blip in light of eternity, but think of it from a human standpoint. Imagine telling someone something or showing them something And they're silent after for a half an hour. (laughs) The seventh seal is God's final judgment on the wicked. Seeing it would have definitely been overwhelming. Yeah, and even more, as we said, the first six seals contain tribulation that's already occurring. The seventh seal is the completion of the judgment cycle. So the events in this seal haven't happened yet. But again, Revelation is not saying something brand new. That seventh seal and God's final judgment contained in it coincides with the day of the Lord that's prophesied about in many of the books of the prophets. I'll just throw one example out there, Isaiah 13, 9, which says, Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel, with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. So we can say that besides everyone who saw the vision of the seventh seal being overwhelmed, 
The silence also represents a separation between the first six seals, which were already happening or would be happening sometime before Jesus comes back, and the coming final seventh judgment, which is the culmination of God's judgment on the wicked and full redemption of God's people. In other words, the seventh seal contains what will happen at the day of the Lord, like we've been talking about, or Jesus' second coming, which are the same thing. Right. So before we read on, I want to make sure that we've made these seal, trumpet, and bowl judgments clear. We said they are not chronological, but they all occur within the same time frame. The first six seals, trumpets, and bowls all contain judgments and tribulation that began when Jesus ascended up to heaven and will continue until he returns. It doesn't mean that everything contained in them has already happened, especially because events will escalate and get more intense as we get closer to the end. What it does mean, though, is that everything contained in these six seals, trumpets, and bowls will have occurred before Jesus comes back. Right. And I think that's an important point to make. And along that same line, the seventh seal, trumpet, and bowl all represent God's final judgment and haven't happened yet. They all represent the culmination of God bringing his judgment on the wicked, the culmination of his redeeming his people, and the culmination of his establishing heaven on earth. Let's read on in chapter 8 and see if we can make this clearer and what Jesus has left everyone so speechless about. Okay. Revelation 8, 2-5 says, Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Chris, there's some serious stuff going on here. There sure is. Verses 2 through 5 are describing the prayers of the saints, the prayers of God's people. These are prayers of all of God's people for all time, including the prayers of God's people as they go through the tribulation. All of the prayers of God's people are heard, but specifically, God promises retribution for his people who have suffered persecution and martyrdom. In other words, believers who have suffered for standing up for God's word and faith in Jesus. They are looking for God's justice on God's enemies. This picture that we're given here, complete with the thunder, lightning, and the earthquake, is the complete judgment of God on the wicked, which are his enemies. It's complete vindication for his people who have suffered for their faith. It's complete redemption and complete victory of Jesus. This is why there are seven angels and seven seals and seven trumpets and seven bowls. Exactly. And we don't have time to go into detail about this eighth angel with the golden censer and the altar and the fire. But just to sum it up, the thunder, lightning, and earthquake show that God's judgment is something definitely to be feared by unbelievers or the wicked. Before we continue in chapter 8, let's talk about the trumpets. The trumpets are once again hearkening back to the Old Testament. Trumpets were used in several places in the Old Testament to signify a call. It would either be a warning call, a call for God's people to assemble, or a call to war for God's people, which God would ultimately fight for them and defeat the enemy. Just a couple of examples of this um, are like Joel 2.1, which says, Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, 
It is near. We also see this in Isaiah 27, 13, which says, In that day a great trumpet will be blown, and those who were lost in the land of Syria and those who were driven out of the land of Egypt will come and worship the Lord on the holy mountain at Jerusalem. And Jesus, who fulfilled the Old Testament, continues this use of trumpets in his Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, 30 to 31, which says, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect, chosen people, from the four winds from one end of heaven. Now that we understand that, let's continue with Revelation 8 verses 6 to 12. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and they were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, likewise a third of the night. We said that the trumpets, and later the bowls, correspond with the seals. They're in the same time frame, and they're a microcosm of what the seals say. So, Here we have the first four trumpet judgments. And if you remember the first four seals, they contained the four horsemen who Jesus set loose on the earth. And in order, we said they represented conquest, war, famine, and death. Here's the first four trumpets. We see exactly what they're unleashing on the earth looks like. And again, it doesn't mean that all the things listed have already happened or are happening right now, but they will happen before Jesus comes back. In fact, as we get closer and closer to the time of Jesus coming back, we're going to see more and more of the things mentioned. So what is mentioned in the first four trumpets? In the first trumpet, there's hail and fire mixed with blood hurled to the earth. A third of the earth burning up, a third of the trees burning up, and all the green grass being burned up. I think we can recall seeing hailstorms or watching wildfires that burn up thousands of acres year after year on the news. And certainly... People have died in them, but we shouldn't limit ourselves to just thinking that these things will occur by just natural disaster or climate change. God is God, and he can cause any or all of this to happen anytime, any way he chooses. Absolutely. The second trumpet contains something like a mountain burning and being thrown into the sea. John doesn't say this is an actual mountain, but like a mountain. This could be a giant glacier melting into the sea or a fire so big it looks like a mountain's burning up. He goes on to tell us that one third of the sea becomes blood, one third of the living creatures die, and one third of the ships are destroyed. Again, God can and has caused all these things to happen throughout history by seemingly quote unquote human or natural means. 
like warmer climates causing glacier mountains to melt, water pollution, warm ocean temps killing sea life, and war destroying ships. But he can also just as easily make that happen anytime he chooses, like you said, Chris, or however he chooses. The sea becoming blood, that could mean blood from all the dead sea life, but God has turned the sea to blood before, so there's certainly a possibility he can do it again. Absolutely. And this is the same with the third and fourth trumpets. A great star falling from heaven, blazing like a torch, causing the waters to become bitter, and people die from drinking it. One third of the sun, moon, and stars struck, so there's darkness. This could be talking about asteroids, acid rain, eclipses, smog, air pollution, or other things that already happened. And again, that doesn't mean that God can't or won't literally do these things sometime before Jesus comes back. Joel and Jesus warn us about these things. Again, going back to the Old Testament, Joel 2.31 says, The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And Matthew 24, 29 says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the power of heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. Jesus is telling us that sometime after the tribulation begins, which began at his ascension and before he comes back, this darkness on earth will happen. Again, God may use some natural means to do this partially and or he may just do it. And one last thing on the four trumpets. Notice that it's one third of the sea life, one third of the earth is burned up, etc. As horrible as these things are, God is still being merciful. This isn't complete judgment. This is God still putting up with wickedness and sin on earth. The one third may be literally one third or it might mean an amount less than complete. All right, let's finish up chapter 8, verse 13, which says, Then I looked and heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell in the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Chris, this is emphasizing that things are going to be getting harder and more intense. And they do. Let's move on to chapter 9. Revelation 9, 1 to 6 says, And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions on the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. Rose, this sounds like something out of a horror movie. It does. And if I was in the camp that had to assign a specific event in history, maybe I would think it's being fulfilled with the murder hornets. <laughs> <laughs> but Chris, we need to reflect back to the fifth seal. The fifth seal was the martyrs crying out to God. O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Now they were told they wouldn't be completely avenged until all those that would be martyred were with them. 
So that means complete retribution for them won't come until the last seal, trumpet, and bowl. Right. But God is passing judgment on some right now, as he always has. Like we named earlier, Assyria, Babylon, Rome, and others. So what's going on here? Let's start with the fact that this judgment is on those who are not sealed on the foreheads by God. When we are saved, we receive the seal of the Holy Spirit. This means that we belong to God for all eternity. So this judgment is on God's enemies. And that certainly includes those who have killed God's people for their faith. The first four trumpets, like the first four seals, were perpetrated on all the earth. But now God's directly targeting the wicked with the fifth and sixth trumpet. This goes directly back to Exodus and the plagues. Remember the first three plagues were on everyone, but the last seven were aimed only at the Egyptians. God's people were spared from those. And the punishment is so bad, the people it's being perpetrated on will wish they were dead. Unbelievable. Before we talk about these locusts that come out of the bottomless pit, let's read how scripture describes them. Revelation 9, 7 to 11 says, In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing in the battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollon. Okay, so maybe these aren't murder hornets. I wish we had more time to really take this apart, but I will say that again, this image isn't anything new in scripture. No, it's not. The prophet Joel talked about locusts similar to this in Joel chapter 1. He talks about swarms of different locusts that appear on the earth. Chapter 2 describes these locusts. Here's a sampling of how Joel describes them from Joel 2 verses 4 to 7, which says, Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like war horses they run. And with the rumbling of chariots they leap on the tops of mountains, like the crackling of a flame of fire devouring the stubble, like a powerful army drawn for battle. Before them, people are in anguish. All faces grow pale. Like warriors, they charge. Like soldiers, they scale the wall. Pretty scary stuff. Yeah. You know, scholars are split on what the locusts in Revelation mean, just like they were split on what the locusts in Joel mean. Some think they're a metaphor for being attacked. Others think it's a literal locust invasion, and some think it's both. But here's the side we land on. Besides not looking like actual locusts, and they're the size of horses, yeah. these locusts don't eat the plants or grass. Now, can God make actual locusts that look like this and attack people instead of greenery? Of course he can. So while I won't say that this is absolutely not a literal locust attack, I think I lean more towards this symbolizes an attack. And since these locusts are let out of a bottomless pit, I think they're demons. And I think this is God giving unbelievers over to Satan and his demons. That was my first thought when I read it. I mean, that's, that's just the first time I read it. That's what I've always thought. Yeah. And that's what he did with giving his people over to Babylon. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds scary no matter what. 
Well, the name of the leader is Abaddon in Hebrew and Apollyon in Greek, like you said, Rose. These names mean destruction and destroyer. There's no doubt that God has been giving people over to Satan for, a to- for all time, not just since Jesus' ascension, but this seems to be a more intense, intentional demonic influence that's going to overtake the wicked. Rose, you and I have talked about many, many times how amazed we are at some of the actual absolute spiritual blindness that we encounter and how there's absolutely no doubt that satan is pulling some strings in these things oh my goodness that's for sure and while we all know people who are unbelievers that seem to skate through life with lots of blessings this shows that god is and will continue to target some of those who have satan as their master Yeah, that's right. And the result will be misery, anguish, and pain that's so horrific, they're going to wish they were dead. And you can bet that when God gives the go-ahead of Satan and his demons to target unbelievers, they will swarm just like locusts. Yeah. Okay, unfortunately, time is running short, so let's finish up chapter 9. Revelation 9, 12 to 20 says... The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number, and this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur, and the heads of the horses were like lion's heads, and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. The rest of mankind, who were not killed by these plagues, did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshipping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Wow. That's all I can say is wow. Wow is right. Okay, so let's try to do a quick summary here. These verses tie directly to the seals talking about the four angels who were held back from destroying people and things on earth until God's people were all sealed. So again, this judgment is on unbelievers. This also shows an escalation from the demons in the fifth trumpet who are allowed to torment unbelievers but not kill them. Now they're given license to kill some. So does that mean that these angels are demonic angels? Maybe, maybe not. Scholars are split, but it doesn't really matter because both are under the complete sovereignty and authority of God. That's right. I mean, if you think about the Passover, angels killed people. Yes. You know, the killed in the Egyptians, so... I wish we had more time to really delve into this, but I want to point out that we talked about how some have absolute spiritual blindness and wow, is that not evident here that despite all unbelievers are suffering and being put through, they continue to worship their false gods and don't repent of their evil. And again, this isn't something new. 
Zephaniah spoke about it. Zephaniah 117 says, because you have sinned against the Lord, I will make you grope around like the blind. Your blood will be poured onto the dust and your bodies will lie rotting on the ground. And Paul reiterates this in 1 Corinthians 2.14 when he says, The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. And we have to mention that they could be blind because God has hardened their heart. This is hard to hear, but we see it in both the Old Testament and the New Testaments. In Isaiah, we read, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart so that they might not perceive with their eyes and understand with their minds and turn, and I would heal them. And Paul says it again in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4. If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from the people who are perishing. Satan who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. And Chris, I hate to end on such a down note. And we apologize that we weren't able to hit more that's contained in this in these two chapters. Maybe we'll do a Bible study sometime. Yes. But the important takeaways, though, that are even now, right now, as we speak, God is judging the wicked and bringing partial justice to earth. Those that are his can never be taken out of his grasp because of what Jesus sacrificed and accomplished for us. And while we may suffer and we may even be killed for our faith, our future is secure and God will work everything out for our good. Instead of being depressed by what we read in Revelation, use it to live in gratitude to our Lord and Savior and use it to motivate you to preach the gospel to every unbeliever you know. What's at stake for those who don't know Jesus is great. Amen to that. Thanks for listening. Join us in the next episode as we tackle chapters 10 and 11, the little scroll, the two witnesses, and the seventh trumpet. And remember, transcripts for all of our podcasts are available in the show notes. Have a blessed day, everyone. 